Western York Independent Living's Meet the Candidates Forum of on Erie County was made on Tuesday, October 26th. We apologize for the technical issues that forced us to join the event about 20 minutes after it started. Um, it begins in the middle of writing candidate and current mayor of Buffalo, Byron Brown's um, remarks, and then it continues from there, and additional candidates will be announced as they come along. The other major thing that we want to do going forward is bring more jobs online for all of the residents of our community uh, through programs to assist people with rapid upskilling. So we want to um, uh, reach out to the disability community and make sure uh, that we are bringing uh, people with disabilities into uh, those upskilling programs that we are providing uh, more employment opportunities for all of our residents. And with these rapid upskilling programs that I plan on funding, uh, we want people to go from training into um, uh, self-sustaining uh, employment opportunities where people are making living wages and able to comfortably support themselves. Thank you. I, I appreciate that answer. And I just want to confirm it's upskilling as in increasing a job skill rather than upscaling, which is to make more of something. I have a question for Byron Brown. No, no. Rapid oh, hold on. Up, upskilling. Go ahead, so, Mr. Mayor. Yeah, so we want to rapidly upskilling uh, um, people in our community with training programs, including members of the disability uh, community. These would be uh, training initiatives in areas where we know there will be job demand in the future. And the training uh, duration would be six months, a year, two years, and people would be able to leave training and go right from training into uh, living wage, self-sustaining jobs. The other thing that we want to focus on doing uh, with development in, in general as part of our priority for inclusion is push for more employment opportunities uh, for persons with disabilities with the development and job creation that's moving forward in the city. Thank you. I appreciate the clarification. Uh, Rhea, hold on for a second. The next question is 8546, because I know you're unmuted and, you're, and you have your question ready. Go ahead. Okay. My, my question is, on the committee that you have that are making decisions for people who are, have challenges, how many of those committees have people on who are professionally challenged and the citizens or the average person who is going to be using uh, the facility or whatever the committee makes a decision on? Because sighted people just can't make decisions for people who are blind and visually impaired, or people who are wheelchairs, or people who are deaf, because they just don't, they may have the professional information, but they don't have the skill that is needed to make their life better. So that what you, decision you make, make really makes a change. So is the question you're asking, how is the mayor going to increase disability involvement for all of his advisory councils? Yes, that's what I'm asking. I just, I just wanted to make sure. I heard on that, 
how many people that participate are actually people who are going to be served by the decisions that are made by the committee? So we we want to increase disability um, uh, access, uh, and we want to make sure that people with various disabilities um, are participating and seated on various city advisory boards so that we get the voice, the input of all members of the community, including members of our community with disabilities, uh, routinely in our public processes, uh, we uh, reach out to the community and um, ask for community participation on different projects and investments, including in the disability community. Uh, but your question is kind of a follow-up on Todd's earlier question, his initial question about having persons with disabilities not only on the board uh, that deals with those issues, but are but on other city boards as well, and that is one of my goals uh, for the upcoming administration. Oh, already one. I, I have time for one more question. I'm going to let Ria have that because she's been waiting so patiently. Go ahead, Thank Ria. Thank you. Thank you. I know you mentioned that you're providing affordable housing, and I get that. However, what I'm finding out is when you're putting up these um, affordable housing units, there's not enough provided for uh, people with disabilities, nor, and also, um, there's, um, they're picking the lottery so they become eligible for these apartments, and then it ends up in being a two to three year waiting list. What I'm asking is, how can you stop this from happening in, in the community? Uh, that's a great question, and thank you very much for that. So uh, part of our goal is to bring more affordable housing online in the city of Buffalo. We've built over 2,200 units of affordable housing. There is another 1,000 uh, in production right now. We want to build even more than that going forward. We have a requirement for all new rental housing units uh, to be accessible uh, to people with various disabilities. Uh, the lottery system that you talk about, unfortunately, is a requirement of the state and uh, the city uses uh, federal and state funding uh, for um, our affordable housing program uh, and, it, uh, and the state imposes a lottery. We have uh, talked to the state about that as well because we've heard from many residents in the community uh, that sometimes the lottery system uh, creates uh, long waiting lists uh, and sometimes makes it difficult for people who live around a um, development that we have built to be even able to find um, affordable housing in a new affordable housing development in their own neighborhood. That's something that we're working on the state with. It is not a city requirement. It's, uh, it is a mandate of the state. Uh, uh, the city is concerned about it, and we've heard many concerns from residents of the community. 
But our goal is to bring um, many more affordable housing units online in the city of Buffalo to make sure all of the new affordable housing continues to be accessible uh, for people with disabilities and to reduce the waiting time for people getting into new, clean, affordable housing. And I will say that much of the affordable housing that we're building in the city of Buffalo mirrors upscale housing. Uh, it looks like and has the um, amenities and features of housing uh, for people that might be uh, very high income. And that's what we want to see in affordable housing in the city of Buffalo. We want it to be high quality. We want it to have uh, very attractive features and services that are beneficial to our residents. Thank you. Just, Thank to you just to clarify that number about those thousand units, right? Are you identifying all 1,000 should be accessible? Or are you identifying that the program meet its federal obligation on its percentages? Uh, so both. So we have another 1,000 units that are in production now. We want all of those units to be accessible. Not that all of those units will go to people with disabilities, uh, but we want uh, the building of those units to uh, be accessible so that uh, persons with disabilities uh, could rent them. Uh, in addition to that, we're building some units uh, that would be specific to persons with disabilities, uh, you know, persons that would need wheelchair access uh, to uh, and uh, uh, bathroom uh, fixtures uh, for uh, persons with disabilities. Uh, but all units that um, you know, wheelchair, uh, wheelchairs would be able to access elevators where wheelchairs would be able to, to fit, uh, and housing that would meet, uh, the state, uh, requirements, uh, where right now, uh, there is a lottery system, but we're talking to the state about, are there other ways that we could make affordable housing available to people, uh, because we have had complaints uh, that the lottery system has made it uh, difficult for some people to get into the affordable housing uh, and has made the waiting list for some people much longer. Uh, but to be specific, we know that some units will have to be built in different ways that are specific uh, to different disabilities that people have. And we've worked very closely uh, with people incorporated on the building of affordable housing uh, for people with disabilities in our city. Okay, I just want to make sure that I, that I, I had that clarified. And which city department is taking the lead on those units, Mayor? Uh, the, the city department that takes the lead on uh, those units is the Office of Strategic Planning, and we have a Thank division you. of housing in the Office of Strategic Planning. Wonderful. Um, oh, there it is. Uh, another quick question from the chat. I think this will be your last one because again, we're talking about housing. Um, what do you think the city can do to help modify existing housing to make it accessible? Uh, we have a small and minor repair program, uh, 
uh, right now uh, where the city can um, modify um, existing housing. Uh, we have worked uh, with people in existing housing uh, to add wheelchair ramps uh, and to help to install accessible features uh, in existing homes. Uh, that's something that's going to continue uh, to be a priority in the city of Buffalo and continue to be funded in the city of Buffalo. I will add to that, we know that uh, because of COVID-19, uh, many people who were homeowners, who were renters, uh, people who are landlords uh, were affected, having difficulty paying their rent, having difficulty paying their mortgage, and also landlords whose uh, uh, tenants have had difficulty paying. I also want the disability community to know that the city has um, created programs uh, to assist people in rent payment and in mortgage payment. Um, people that might find themselves in that circumstance can call 211 or 311 to get more information on how they can apply for those dollars. Thank you so much. That's very important information, especially for the ERAP folks. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Mayor, thank you for taking the, the time you've spent with us today, and I appreciate the extra time you took to answer questions. Best of luck on a writing campaign, because I know that that's challenging. Thank okay. Thank you so it much. Is, it, for is, it is challenging. Thank you. What is the biggest thank challenge you. of being a writing candidate? I'm curious uh, to know. One of the biggest challenges of being a write-in candidate is um, educating all of the members of the community that want to do it and how to do it properly. Uh, but I've been encouraged and enthused that so many people across the community uh, want to write my name in, have inquired about writing down Byron Brown, and we feel very good in these final days of the election. I want to make sure that you know and that your staff can tell folks that even the accessible ballot marking devices have a way to participate in uh, write-in ballots. So anybody that needs assistance with writing in your name should be pointed to the accessible ballot marking device called the AutoMark. And at the bottom yes. of the race list, you can select write-in and type in your name. With the accessible ballot marking devices. That's correct. Thank you. You're welcome. And thanks again. Have um, a good day, everyone. You bet. The next. Does the it next, have to be the full name or can you just write Brown? Um, as long as you put in Brown, it will probably be accepted as him. It's voter intent. Okay. Uh, no, we, we, I asked that answer when we got cleared to give that response. Thanks, Doug. Um, now, I know uh, Mr. Bagnese canceled. And Mr. Johnson isn't here yet, unless there's a member of his campaign that wishes to make themselves known to unmute their microphone. I'm happy to give them their 10 minutes. Are they here? Uh, Comptroller candidate, um, Mr. Hardwick should be here. I don't see him yet. And I want to give him uh, a couple minutes to show because I just sent the the zoom invitation to the staffer that just emailed me so hopefully he'll be here in a moment or two um in the meantime um has anybody done early voting yet 
If you've done early voting yet, I'd really like to hear about your experience. Anybody here done early voting yet? Yes, the uh, Board of Elections uh, Automart ran out of ink. It wasn't calibrated. So you went to vote at 134 uh, West Eagle. And right? um, they sort of discouraged a couple people from using it because it was slow. Hmm. Did you find it slow when you got to use it? Well, it's never been an expeditious thing, but as a blind person, utilizing the Automart is a much better than trusting my vote in the hands of a person I don't agree with. Okay, so for the for the people for the people that might not know, before the Automark, how many people needed to be with you in order to vote? Two. Yeah, um, that's uh, because you can still do that if you don't want to use the Automark and you want just help filling in the little circles you can do that but you got to have a democrat person in with you and a republican person in with you in order for the vote to be counted and fair right so i was pretty crowded in the old lever machine days right doug (laughs) (laughs) it was cozy though todd can i (laughs) this is marco can i speak to that absolutely okay um I was just in a at a conference, and the Automark machine is uh, about to end its life, and so mm-hmm. um, there will be changes to the voting machines at the polls soon. Well, and I can't remember uh, what it is, but the Automark is is dwindling. Well, yeah, no, the Automark is is ending its useful life. You're exactly correct, and the company that makes it doesn't want to maintain it anymore. So we're going to need to pick a new one. And there's conversations with Board of Elections now so that the disabled community can look at the choices and make the recommendation as to which one we want. Um, Just one that is one thing that we at the center advocate for on a regular basis. Uh, Are you also also advocating to make, I'm still, a lot of us are still having problems using the accessible absentee ballots that we're supposed to use because the judge won't let us use electronic return and uh yes. so we're having trouble with those and uh i'm having to have somebody proofread mine when i can actually use one to make sure that i voted uh the way that that person knows that i usually vote the yeah. proofread and, and, it so, and it shouldn't necessarily need proofing, but somewhere in the does. somewhere in the background, I know we have someone from Disability Rights New York who might want to hear more about that experience. Um, I just want to make sure. I'll call Bruce Darling. No, 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 no. We, I, I'll give you the contact information for the nice lady at DRNY. Okay. Okay. Um, now. Um, Legislator Hardwick is here running for Erie County Comptroller. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Um, And this begins your 10 minutes. I thank you for being patient. Okay, well, my name name is Kevin Hardwick and I am running for Erie County Comptroller. 
And you might ask yourself, well, what does the controller do and, and how might that affect me? Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a question that most people don't ask because most people don't care. But let, let me tell you, uh, I am acutely aware. I am a, a professor at Canisius College. I teach political science. I am also an Erie County legislator and have been for the last 12 years. And I talk in my campaign about teaching good government at Canisius College and about uh, practicing it on the floor of the Erie County Legislature for the last 12 years. Uh, and I look at the controller's office and it really is not good government. And I think that that affects us all. Uh, I think a, a, a big problem there is the, uh, the culture of the controller's office. It is, uh, in addition to being, being wasteful and, and, and inefficient and missing deadlines, uh, they, are, they are routinely uh, fighting unnecessarily with their partners in government. Uh, and in the middle of the pandemic, uh, this has been especially uh, costly uh, for all of us, but I would, I would assert that for the people with disabilities, it's been especially trying. I mean, we've all been affected by the, uh, the pandemic uh, and, and you know, we've had to change the way we live and, and, and all that. Uh, but I know that, uh, that it's been even more uh, painful, uh, more uh, uh, debilitating uh, for people uh, who had disabilities, whether it's transportation or offices being shut down, uh, missing appointments uh, that they need. Uh, it's been, been very difficult. And I think that the, the controller has done nothing, uh, the current controller and his, his administration have done nothing to help us get over the hump of this pandemic. Instead, they seem to be allied, if you will, uh, with the pandemic itself uh, 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 at, at every turn. So I have, I have vowed if I'm elected, I vowed if I'm elected to affect a culture change in that office, office, and that culture change is gonna be based on respect, respect for the important work that's done there, respect for the important people, the professionals who do it, and respect for the people of, of Erie County. And I would, uh, I would be more than happy to answer any of your questions. And once again, I, start to, I, I think I, I start talking and my mic's muted. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give folks an opportunity to come up with a question and I'm gonna to say to you, how do you think your work in the comptroller's office would directly impact people with disabilities? Well, I think the 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 controller the controller's office has a number of divisions, and and one of them, of course, is the accounting division, and make sure the bills get paid. And I I think that's that's very important. Uh, but they, but the controller can also do audits and reports. And I think a number of the audits and reports that that we could take on could certainly positively impact people. I know that I know that there is a a a, a big um, uh, issue oftentimes uh, with uh, with transportation. The NFTA gets about $20 million uh, every year from Erie County sales tax. And I think that the controller uh, can, can audit uh, the services provided by the NFTA with our sales tax money. Uh, I was talking to a woman recently outside. I was coming from a, from a meeting in the legislature outside, uh, and, and she was in a wheelchair, and she was complaining to me. About the uh, about the NFTA and the paratransit service, oftentimes the buses were late. Sometimes they didn't show up, 
and again, as I said earlier in the pandemic, this, this only compounds uh, the uh, the situation. So I think I think we can do something something like that. Drivers for us, Dan. I'm, uh, I'm, hold on one second, Legislator Hardwick. Everybody, if you're not asking a question, uh, please mute yourselves. Just as a remember, just as a reminder. Okay. Um, I I thank you. I have a couple of questions yeah. on chat. And then I have one person with a hand up, so we'll do these one at a time. Um, Legislator Hardwick, what could you say about employing more people with disabilities in the Comptroller's office? Yeah, I, I, I think most of the positions, most of the 35 or 36 positions in the Comptroller's office uh, are civil service. And there is an exam for that, of course. And there, then, then you know, the uh, the administration gets to pick from the top three. Uh, I think the first thing we have to do is get people on the list, get people to take the test. I think that uh, that uh, that involves recruitment, involves advertising, making sure that the the word gets out that the positions are available. Once people take the tests uh, and are on the list, then you know, then they're they're available for uh, for for picking. But if they're not on the list, if they don't take the test. There's no way you can, you know, you can employ them. Um, a moment of education for you. Um, people with disabilities can be, qualified individuals with disabilities can be placed on the list without taking the test if the position is designated 55A, just like veterans can mm -hmm. be designated if it's done 55C. Could you commit your office to looking at increasing the numbers of those positions that are designated? I, I, I certainly can, and I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation. I'm glad that uh, I didn't choose the option to submit a tape because this is a sort of dialogue uh, where we can both learn something, and, and this is very helpful to me. So, yes, of course I can. And now the next question is, um, how can you make your office more accessible to people with disabilities? And we're not just talking about the physical accessibility of the location. We're also talking about the internet resources that your department uses and the accessibility of the reports you produce. Yeah, I don't know how big of a problem this is now. And that's, that's not, I'm not saying it isn't a problem. I'm just saying it's, it's ignorance on my part. A, a professor once told me that, uh, that a wise man is someone who can define their ignorance. And, and certainly this is an area where uh, I am unfamiliar with problems that might exist now. Once in that office come January, I, I certainly uh, will be better able to answer that question and address uh, solutions to that problem if, if one exists. Alrighty, I do have a telephone or uh, a raised hand for the telephone. So uh, 2821, you can unmute yourself and ask the legislator a question. Come on. I know you're there because you asked a question to the mayor. Mm. Okay. Well, when you get yourself when you get yourself unmuted, let me know. Anybody else have a question for the legislator about his campaign for comptroller? If 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 not, could I could I use whatever time is sure. running? Ab ab absolutely to, to uh, talk about something I'm very excited about. Um, 10 years ago, or about 10 years ago, I was present at the groundbreaking on Grand Island, Grand Island, which I represent in the county legislature. 
uh, of the uh, the Miracle League's uh, baseball field. The Miracle League, as you probably know, is uh, is uh, for people with disabilities, and it 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 puts together my favorite sport, baseball. Uh, back in the '90s, when my children were going through little league, I was always a coach in the Tonawanda American Little League. I coached a couple of years in the Challenger Division, uh, which again was was people with disabilities. Well, when the Miracle League came along, I thought this is the greatest thing. Well, they've been around for about ten years, and I've been to many of their games, and I've been 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 buddy at that, and been sponsoring events, and gone to their dinners. I love it. Their field is in tough shape, uh, partly because of vandalism on Grand Island, which is which is terrible. But but when the American Rescue Plan money became available for capital improvements, I made sure that in the plan was $1.1 million for repairs at the Miracle League. That is going to, that, that was passed earlier, a pre-vote was passed earlier this year, and a final vote on that is going to be taken a week from Thursday, when we in the legislature, I'm confident, will approve $1.1 million for improvements at the Miracle League, including a splash pad, because the best day at the Miracle League every year is when the volunteer firemen show up, and after the games, they turn the hoses on everybody, and it is just a party. Right. It's a party on a, in, in the rain, in effect. It's it's awesome to see the kids, uh, and 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 you know, it, it's it it's just it's just awesome to see uh, the kids and their parents, parents who never thought that they would have a chance to uh, watch their kids play any sport, to watch them, give them an opportunity to buy that glove and put it on their hands and then watch them play baseball. It's, uh, again, and that's, no, we're, that's we're, coming next week. Uh, we're really excited about that, but I do want to, I do want to ask that at some point you ask, uh, maybe you ask us to look at the plans for what they approve to build before they spend money. Okay. Um, we have had some very well-meaning people get a lot of money encumbered for something that they think is accessible and then they build it and they turn out that it isn't. So, that, well, listen, that's, that's 1.1 million and it isn't spent yet. The plans aren't together. We've got the funding right. there. Uh, I don't know if you've had contacts with Scott McGonigal or anybody at the Miracle League, but I'm sure that they would be open to this because it's I, a wonderful group of people. I'll get into it with your office and get some contact. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, last chance hmm. for a question for um, Legislator Hardwick. Running for Erie County Comptroller. Hold on. Ah, that's a good question. Uh, Chet asks me to ask you, what will you do to ensure that county residents have input on uh, how the money is spent in Erie County? Yeah, well, I, I, I think that happens anyway. I think that they have a diverse board of, of directors. Uh, they have many of the uh, the parents of the children uh, on their... I, uh, on their I think we're referring to your work as comptroller. Oh, I will. <laughs> I'm, I'm rotting you back. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, so, so what is the question then? You'll have to clarify. Uh, uh, the the person who put it in the chat identifies that the Miracle League thing is a personal thing you do that you're excited about. But when you're comptroller, right, is are there steps you can take to increase how uh, citizen comment can affect how money is spent being the comptroller? 
Yeah, I, I, I think certainly you can do that. That's, however, primarily the function of the executive and the legislature, because they, they decide how much money is going to be spent and where that money is going to be spent. The controller's office just makes sure that, that the bills get paid, and then they, they audit after the fact to make sure that the money is going where it should go. Um, so I think, I think the part where stakeholders should be involved is at the front end, and that involves, again, the legislature and the executive, I think it's a great question. I think it also has to be addressed to uh, people running for legislature. Uh, and well, the executive isn't running this year. But I, like I say, I think it's a it's a good question. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more appropriately directed at county legislative candidates. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Legislator Hardwick. We appreciate the time that you spent with us. Thank okay. you. I appreciate and it. Good and, luck. And and thank you for everything you do, guys. And thank you for taking your time to be here today and to listen. All right. Have a nice rest of the day. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Our next candidate is right here with us. So I'm going to ask Mr. Donoto, do I have that right? To unmute his microphone and you can begin your 10 minutes. Oh, okay. uh, all right, I can hear you. You can start now. Okay. Um, my name is Ted Donoto. I'm a lieutenant, uh, detective lieutenant with the town of Amherst Police Department. Uh, I've been there 30 years. I currently am in charge of our narcotics unit. I have uh, started out as a patrol officer. I was promoted to accident investigation, then to detective, and then to lieutenant. I was a, I'm a lieutenant for 14 years. During that time, I was in charge of the road patrol platoon on the midnight shift. Then I became the administrator of our training division. Then I took over the accident investigation unit as a supervisor and then promoted to narcotics. So I've, I've worked every aspect of the job. Uh, during that time, I've also been in charge of our canine unit, our underwater recovery team, our community policing unit. Um, I've done every aspect and supervised every aspect. Uh, I've also been a master instructor out at the Erie County Police Academy uh, for the last 10 years. I've taught there over 20 years. Um, in that time period, I've, I've instructed well over 1,200 police officers throughout Erie County, uh, not to mention and not including numerous, numerous supervisors in supervision school and the uh, investigative schools. Uh, I got into this, this race because I saw that there was a need for change in the sheriff's office. I have a lot to give. I've reached out and I've influenced many police officers in Erie County. I have personal relationships with many, many of them. And I feel that I'm the only candidate that uh, because of that relationship that I gained in the academy and my experience practical and uh, administratively, I'm, I'm the only candidate that can bring Erie County together uh, under a law enforcement umbrella to work toward the, uh, uh, a main goal, a common goal. Um, okay. So, um, again, this is an opportunity to ask candidate Donato about his candidacy for sheriff. As you come up with your questions, um, I will ask the first one. Um, you said that you'd help, that you led a one-time training division. Can you talk to me about what you think officers should be trained in to provide better service for people with disabilities? Um, well, I believe that they uh, sh should be trained in the recognition and uh, 
Oops, did I lose you? Nope, you're still here. Um, the recognition and understanding of, of, uh, of the symptoms and uh, triggers that um, people with disabilities have. Uh, I have a brother-in-law who's autistic, so I have personal experience with autism. I have a, uh, a godson who's on the spectrum of uh, autism. I'm not really 100% sure exactly what they call it. It's a per pervasive something disorder. Pervasive uh, developmental disorder. We see that a lot. And um, I know both of them can get very agitated if questioned over and over again. I know they are uh, kind of uh, sensitive to loud noises, sometimes quick movements. And, and these are things that, that the officers need to be trained in and understand. So when they are dealing with somebody and somebody starts to become agitated, somebody walks away from them, somebody has an outburst, that they're not thinking that this is a person who is just being belligerent or, or combative with them. Um, I want to see something like that. Uh, we do year to year, uh, yearly training in sexual harassment and very rarely get training in something where an officer is going to come up on, on the road and, and maybe be blindsided because they don't understand uh, the triggers that they're seeing. And I want to see that, and I'm going to see that as part of a yearly uh, training at the sheriff's office. Okay. Uh, I'm going to throw the next question over to Maura. You can unmute yourself and ask now. Hi. My name is Maura Kelly. I'm the behavioral health liaison for the West New York Independent Living and I'm just wondering what you plan to do or how you plan to address the needs of people with mental health issues that um, are in crisis. They're not breaking the law, but 911 is called. How do you plan on addressing those issues in, in the jail and in the sheriff's department? Well, earlier today, I, um, I had did a press conference regarding my mental health plan with the sheriff's office. And um, within the jail, what, what that plan is, uh, is I've um, stated, I'm going to bring mental health professionals in right at intake. So it's not a police officer evaluating somebody at intake. Um, I think it's very important to understand that we can give police officers uh, as much training as we can yearly, but they're still police officers. They're still law enforcement officers. They're not mental health professionals. We need to have mental health professionals evaluating these 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 uh, individuals as they come in, because I want to separate them in, into three three uh, separate uh, programs or three separate uh, categories. Uh, one category is a person with a mental health issue. Uh, one is a, with a sub. A second one is substance abuse substance use issue, and the third is somebody that reflects neither one of those issues who will just go into general population in the, into the holding cell. The other two will be uh, sent to what I, I'm going to call my stabilization centers. They may start out in the jail system. Ultimately, I would like to have them off campus, away from the jail. And that's where they're going to start receiving treatment right, right away, within hours of intake. That, that, those stabilization centers will be uh, staffed with... Uh, now you need to get to where you can unmute. Um, those, those stabilization centers will be staffed with um, counselors, psychologists, uh, medical folks, law enforcement, and community uh, resources. Um, 
I've already been talking with people like Save the Michaels. I know about Best Self and uh, Erie County Stoplink. We're going to get th those in there because I want I want these people to be able to uh, have their issues, uh, whether it's mental health, whether it's substance abuse, or whether it's a co-occurring issue. I want them to be able to be treated and then put on the right path. So it's not a revolving door that we see so much. Um, New York State has kind of, as far as I'm concerned, dropped the ball when they tried to uh, implement this uh, rapid uh, uh, sending people back out into to the community. It may have been a good idea, but all they were doing were, were changing environment. They weren't getting to the, uh, the basic, the core, uh, core issue of what was, what was bringing these people to our, our correctional facilities. And I want to have that taken care of so we don't see the revolving door. Another problem that I want to, I want to see addressed is, uh, unfortunately, um, and you'll understand when I say this, is bail reform. With, with the implementation of bail reform, a lot of folks that need uh, treatment, that need assistance, are, are, are involved in these criminal activities because of whatever that issue is, whether it's a substance use issue or, or a mental health issue. It's not because they are doing it uh, intentionally, but the officer will get there and uh, get the information and give them an appearance ticket and send them back out on into the street without being brought back to uh, the holding center or the police station. And what they lack there then is the evaluation that we perform. And a lot of times we, we determine that there is an issue that needs to be treated there. So we're having a problem with that, and, and we need to stop that revolving door. Okay. Uh, I thank you for that answer. I'm going to let uh, Margo and Julie go next, and then I have a question in chat. Thank so you. This is Julie. And I have a question for you. Um, would you consider... Um, having all of your officers go through first responder disability awareness training from Niagara University. I, I'm up to send them to any training at any place uh, to get them the knowledge and the, and the skill set that they need to function efficiently and, and appropriately on the road when they deal with people with disabilities or mental health issues um, anywhere. This would be all disabilities. And that's, yeah, I would send them to Niagara U or, or wherever they needed to be sent. I want to get the, the best possible training and the most training I can so they can serve the, the community properly. So you wouldn't be opposed possibly to creating a committee of people with disabilities to help to come in to train your officers then? Absolutely. They bring okay. them in. Um, I would, I would have, I would have people come in so they could, um, talk with them, discuss, I need the officers and, and we need as administration to hear, um, what they're going through and what they see, how they feel. So we know what training and what aspects of, of law enforcement we need to adjust to give that, that, that service. I appreciate that. I just want to make sure. Don't know if uh, the phone number ending in 2821. Do you have a question for the sheriff? I know we tried before and you weren't able to unmute yourself. I want to give you a chance, but then I'm going to lower your hand. No, I don't. Thank you. 
Wonderful. All righty. Um, uh, Officer Genoto, is that your <laughs> Ah, hold one moment, please. I've got a, some caller on the line, so they got a, a, a CD pad. There we go. Um, I do appreciate your time with us today, all right? And thank you for coming in to be with us. Um, our next candidate is already here, Mr. Culpa. If you could unmute yourself and turn on your camera. Mr. Culpa is running for Amherst Town Supervisor. And for those people in the crowd, our office is literally a stone's throw away from Amherst. So I always invite the Amherst Town Supervisors, because we have quite a few people who live and work for uh, work with us and work for us that live in Amherst. So, uh, Mr. Culpa, the next 10 minutes is yours. Okay. Um, well, thank you all for having me this afternoon. And, uh, you know, I just um, I want to start off by just letting you know a little bit about my background. Um, I'm an architect and urban planner by training. Uh, I grew up the son of a uh, Buffalo teacher who taught um, community-based special ed, um, first out of uh, Buffalo Traditional and then out of the, uh, um, the, the Occupation Center in the Tri-Main building uh, for 32 years. Um, Elizabeth Kalpa has been um, one of my biggest influences in thinking about how our world and our communities respond to people with disabilities. Um, that's something that I've um, kind of carried through as a, as a uh, this has to be uh, something that's at the top of our list whenever we consider uh, design or whenever we consider um, the way our community interacts, uh, the way we um, recreate, the way we, um, the way we move around our community and the way we, um, and the way we supply occupancies and jobs in our community. Um, so building off of that foundation, um, you know, I feel that uh, my, my training as an urban planner, as an architect, has given me um, sort of the, the equipment, if you will, uh, mentally to take on some of the tasks at hand um, in taking a town that's literally bigger than the city of Albany um, and uh, working with a very diverse group of users and very diverse group of residents and visitors here. So I figured out for, at that point, I'll turn it over to questions. <laughs> All right. As always, you can ask to have your ask to unmute your mic and ask a question or put it in the chat. I'm gonna uh, ask the first one. Sure. Um, I know you've been involved with Amherst Town Government for a long time, and we have a very strong disabilities committee for the town of Amherst. Yeah. Um, talk about a positive. Tell me the one thing that you're really proud of that the sure. committee on disabilities did for the town. So I'll say my, um, I've been in office for four years as supervisor. Prior to that, um, for 10 years, I was the mayor in the village of Williamsville. Um, we worked with the Amherst Disability Committee, but we also worked with uh, the IDA Center out of uh, UB um, to uh, reform uh, the village of Williamsville's pedestrian access and our picture Main Street project. Um, in the town of Amherst, uh, we have uh, we are one of the we are one of the first communities to to, to work with um, with Niagara University on uh, on deaf access training um, for our police um, and now are expanding that to disability access training with our police. Um, we are we have uh, created AIDA or our Industrial Development Agency 
subsidy packages specifically to see hotels built out at full universal design levels. Every room, we're the only hotel in the United States that has been built to that, to that level. Um, and I thought that that was a worthwhile subsidy package. Um, that has allowed us to, to become a home for U.S. sled hockey, which I believe encourages um, users of all ages uh, to participate in outdoor recreation. Um, and, uh, and we've secured some funding um, and are gearing up to build our own Challenger Diamond at Delwood Park uh, in 2022. So I'm, I'm, I know that you asked for one. Uh, that's kind of the myriad of things that I think we've done well and that I want to continue to fight for. Uh, that's okay, because like I said, that gives uh, people time to formulate questions. And um, I have a couple here in the chat. Okay. And what I want to talk about is, these are future-leaning questions. What could you do? What do you think the town could do to bring uh, new people with disabilities into the community? So a lot of it's about housing, right? And, and the way we think about housing, um, I mentioned using AIDA subsidies for universal design. I think that uh, moving forward, I wanna make sure that our town codes reflect um, universal design uh, for all of our public areas, our streets, our sidewalks, our parks. I wanna encourage the private sector development, both through local building code and through, um, and through subsidy packages or tax abatement packages to build to a universal design standard, um, networked with uh, micro transit connections to where people might be employed. Because I think ultimately we have to think about systemic change. It's not, it's not one single implementation that are going to create opportunities for people to live. Um, we are working with programs um, uh, for everybody from People's Incorporated's programs, uh, to home of my own to find ways to create appropriate housing uh, for people with disabilities. Stop it, please. Uh, and, and we're, you know, we have to be creative in outside the box. One second, please. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your patience. Um, Okay. All right. There we go. Um, you know, we have to be, we have to be creative. We have to be outside the box thinkers and, um, we have to work with, with groups like our disabilities committee, um, and others to, to make sure we, we create a community that is hospitable for all. All righty. So, um, Doug, why don't you unmute your mic and ask your most recent question? So, as a veteran with a disability, what can you as a town supervisor do in order to facilitate my ability to actually know what opportunities or services that you've set up for people with disabilities? I do not see any effort of doing any outreach to people in Amherst to have any clue of what's being done for people with disabilities. Um, so the first thing I'll say is, is we have three primary outreach mechanisms. Um, the first is our Amherst Senior Center, 
provides uh, a lot of social media and um, a lot of, of direct contact outreach through newsletters and, and options. I don't even have a clue where those exist. Okay. Um, I, I happen to be so, blind. I, I have okay. no idea even how so, to contact them or so, get them. So for me, right, the, the, the question is, is basically, you know, we, we're creating a 311 network in the town of Amherst, uh, but the, the, the first step is just modifying, as simple as modifying our phone yeah. systems. If you call town hall, right, you yeah. used to be transported to any one of the multiple departments and you would not know how to navigate the town. If you call town hall now with a, a blank, blanket question, it could be as simple as that. What do I do? I'm, I'm looking to figure out how, um, how my specific disabilities are being dealt with at the town level. Uh, then what you're going to do now is you hit a... No, you're, you're misunderstanding my question. I'm, I'm not talking about what you can do about your disability. No, no, no. Hold one moment, please. You should be muting your mic if you're not asking a question. I always in my family. Thank you. Okay, so now I'm not saying that you should, but what we did was we created a front door, right? So when you when you call into the town now, you're actually going to speak to a live person. And that person is going to be administrative, and they're going to basically, you know, be out of my office, and they're able to, to sort of network you into the different services that the town provides. So if you are looking for transportation or transit accommodations, you know, we know how to put you in touch with, with you know, Amherst Senior Transportation is one method, uh, but NFTA paratransit or any of our micro transit options. If you're calling because you're looking for recreation programs, whether it's uh, whether it's you want to participate in golf, whether it's you want to participate in a Challenger League baseball, whether it's you want to, all of that is sort of a one-stop shop. Hey, we've, we're actually going to back to live operators and in, in live conversation. Um, via the web, right, we've created a number, like I said, of channels via social media and other outlets. So um, we also try our best to, to, to go on local radio and talk about our programs coming up. Um, and, you know, so the, the sort of myriad of, of, of media efforts that we've made along with the incoming, you know, correction on um, Amherst, you know, generic phone lines, um, info at Amherst.gov. Um, or info at Amherst, you know, .ny.us, you know, those will bring you to live operators and you'll have the ability to interact one-on-one -on -one with people. Um, you know, there's stuff in the Buffalo News, there's stuff out in, in all the different media departments. We have a committee that works very hard on this, um, on, on, on disability efforts and disability outreach. We have a recreation uh, department that does push a lot of social media content and a lot of media content in general out there. So I'm not sure why you feel that there's a disconnect and I apologize for that. If you feel that, hey, you're disconnected from the town of Amherst and you would like to be connected directly, I would invite you to call our, our local office number um, and, and be able to reach out to us that way. Um, as I do everybody else, if you dial 631-7000, um, you will get you know, to somebody who can help you understand um, and work through whatever disconnects there may be 
um, and through one of our social media platforms. I'm, I, I'm just looking to enjoy Amherst as anybody else with or without a disability. I, I, I understood. I, I'm so, not looking to go say, paved the way for me. I'm, I'm just looking to access a park that's fully accessible and not have to go right. to a special park. So again, that, that's what we're endeavoring to overhaul our community and make sure that all parks are universally accessible so that everybody can enjoy all of our parks. Um, we have a parks inventory that's going live on our website. Um, we are going to, to talk about what is and what is not accessible. Um, and we're gonna talk about what's available at each one of those parks. Um, we just had a report on that two meetings ago. Um, I, I apologize, I clearly am not quite understanding um, the, the, the specific difficulty that you're having accessing Amherst. Um, but you know we we do a lot through our website, through our our Facebook and social media platforms, um, phones, and and we have a huge variety. We're 54 square miles with a lot to offer. So you know it's not just a small village. So there is a lot, and it's very robust. And we we just want to know if you said, hey, I'm looking for a program or a park or you know that that's accessible again, through our website, uh, through social media platforms, or available just by a simple phone call. Well, but see, it's, 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 it's a perspective. You're saying I'm looking for an accessible park. I, I don't no, know what you're I'm, I'm looking to interact with a park that I don't have to think twice about that. You know, as a taxpayer for 40 years in the town of Amherst, the, the ability is for me to access without request. So, so why can't you access the park? Let me turn the question back around. We have 42 parks. Okay, let's take the bike path. Sure. Right? How do you access that bike path if, if you, you can't see? And what's on the bike path that gives me the ability to know where I am? Okay. I mean, so, yes, once I'm on the bike path, so, it, so it's I can physical follow access. Path, but it's, then it's a bike not... comes the other way. So it's physical access, it's not about promotional access. It, if it's physical access, right, so that's what we're, that's what I'm talking about. That's the part of the evolution, right? For four years, I've been focusing on trying to evolve ourselves to a point where we can be accessible, where people can understand where they are, where the access points are. We have not done a good job in this town of designing and creating those places. We don't have full access. You know, my mission, you know, in the next four years is basically going to be to continue to evolve our public spaces to make sure that everybody can understand the space, feel like they can access the space. We do that through a fairly regimented review of our places by our disabilities committee. We have a wonderful feedback loop and we are trying our best to make sure we bring everything up to standard and up to par so that everybody in our community can enjoy space without the question. Thank you. Okay. But um, it's, not, it's not something that has been done. Admittedly, we have a long way to go. That's one of the reasons why I ran. That's one of the reasons why I'm running now. Appreciate knowing that. Could you tell me who the ADA coordinator is for the town of Amherst, please? Um, so it's uh, Bob McCarthy from our HR department, and it's Mark Burke, who's our building commissioner. 
I had I had it come into the chat. This was uh, proof that you knew who that person was. Thank you so much for answering. Okay. Um, and you gave me the same answer that I have on my list, which is always good. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us today, and good luck in your candidacy. Right. All right. Well, thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. One. Um, I noticed that uh, Lynn Dixon, running for comptroller, has just joined us. Um, I know that you're not on until 3.40, but you could start now if you like. Okay. Oops. Thank you. Uh, and hello, Brian. I guess maybe he just left. Um, do you see me? I do not see you, but we do hear you. Okay. Well, um, Okay. Well, I guess as long as you can see, hear me. As long as we can hear you. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Nixon. Uh, I was a county legislator for 10 years. I represented Hamburg, Lackawanna, and South Buffalo. Um, the past two years, I have worked in the county controller's office, just the day operations. Um, Your microphone is fluctuating. What's up? Guys are taking me off again here. I don't understand. Why the hell haven't you guys dropped Bitcoin 2000 yet? Hold one moment. Uh, okay. Yep. As, as yep. a reminder, folks, um, you should be muting your mic if you're not speaking. Yes? Uh, I will mute him. That's... Hopefully that'll take care of our noise problem. And go ahead, Lynn. Lynn, can you hear me? Show some respect. I don't call you by any other. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so um, so for the past two years, I've worked in the controller's office, just the day-to-day -day operations. And, you know, I work with some really great people here and would love to continue on and service and working uh, with uh, those, you know, that have been working in this office in some cases for several years. Um, for the 25-point plan uh, several months ago of outlining what I would like to do in the office, and I think a lot of what that involves uh, would would certainly be important to a lot of those that you represent, um, using controller in the community, controller in the classroom where I would significant amount of outreach. That was one of my favorite things as a legislator to do. Um, in my capacity now, I go out to um, senior centers and do fraud prevention seminars and those kinds of things. And I think um, making the office and um, the abilities of the office and the resources and knowledge that our office has, bringing that uh, to the community uh, is very important. Um, okay. I, I, so, in touching upon some of the questions, um, you know, that you that you had provided, I, mean, I could say that um, I would increase access for persons with disabilities by providing that control in the community. Um, I, I, and because of, of COVID, certainly provide outreach via Zoom or technology when needed. Um, Ensure the effective integration of persons and institutions. I again, point to significant public and community outreach that I plan for the office. I mean, my mindset has always been one of inclusion, not exclusion. So, 
make the truly honored public servant decide that it really is our responsibility to provide folks uh, of all abilities. Just, just to keep you in the loop, your microphone is still popping in and out, right? Hmm. Okay. I don't okay. know. I, I understand we're going to do the best with what we have. I just need to let you know. Thank you. Um, we, can start, we can start questions, I suppose. It might make yes. it easier. Um, how do you think that people with disabilities are deliberately affected by the work in the controller's office? Well, I will tell you that um, a number of, you know, Erie County provides funding to a number of organizations, and those checks are written, you know, at this office and, and sent out from this office. So one of the things that we have tried to do um, over the course of the last few years is modernize the office to be, to make it more efficient uh, and, and effective. And so um, you receive your funding in a more timely way, which eases some of those, those issues. So we have, you know, automatic clearinghouse, so we have ACH payments and that sort of thing. So we, we the automatic payments that um, allows you to get your funding more quickly. Um, I would say that um, the, uh, the Office of Controller works closely with Erie County's Office for People with Disabilities. And in fact, there are people from our office that are currently providing assistance or special accommodations that are necessary for them. Um, I think one of the things we can better job of is expanding the reach of job postings by casting a wider net. Um, so that you know where those postings are listed uh, publicly. And we do have a whistleblower hotline um, where complaints are investigated so that if there is an issue of discrimination or lack of access, um, the controller's office does look into that in order to provide uh, for corrective measures. So some of those are some of the things um, that we do. And um, I know one of your questions about the NFTA, I can tell you that in my capacity as a legislator, I have numerous um, public forums and attended many more um, with the NFTA to uh, make for better routes and better services um, just to address those, uh, the, the people most in need of public transit. And um, I also worked with towns that had uh, bans that um, you know, took folks to medical appointments and things like that. And sometimes there's you know a seven mile radius that they don't travel out of. So um, in some cases, I would work with the towns to, to go beyond that seven mile um, radius. So um, although the controller's office doesn't make policy or vote on legislation, I would continue to advocate for for improved public transit and and, um, and better circumstances and conditions for those with disabilities. Okay. Um, I know you did make a brief comment about employing uh, people with disabilities in your office. So mm -hmm. I know that answers one of the questions that we had so far. But I'm going to give you the same piece of information that I gave your opponent, mm -hmm. which is from which would you support designating more controller positions as 55A or C so that uh, people with disabilities would be exempt from the civil service exam? Oh, I would I would support that. I mean, there are there are obviously, as you know, um, in, in the controller's office we have CPAs, MBAs, um, those with accounting degrees, and forensic accountants um, that are, are required, um, you know, in the office. So um, we have those. But uh, yes, for the civil service, I think you know. Again, I think that we 
I think we can always do a better job uh, in society and certainly, you know, I being in the mirror um, at, at providing access and opportunity um, to those with disabilities for sure. And I, I, I do believe strongly. Alrighty, I'm I'm looking for uh, additional questions. I do have. Hold one moment. Um, could you talk about your experience in handling budgets? Yes. Sure. So, I in the county legislature for ten years and working, and I was I served on the um, finance committee for some of that. And also, we worked on that county budget every year, making amendments to it, having public hearings. Um, uh, Expenditure uh, over a certain amount within the county always had to come over to the to review and approve. Uh, for four years, I was also the chair of the Health and Human Services Committee, so I heard uh, a lot of the issues that came before us to social services, and, and um, I would say that I also um, it, it's the largest cost center in the Erie County's budget, and I chaired committee so those discussions were numerous on top of that I have worked for the last two years in the controller's office so the day-to-day -day operations and functions of their office I do think the controller um, is a person that is the big picture person so we take a look at what should be audited what can we do reports on and I've been involved with uh, some of the research that has gone into some of the reports and audits that have been conducted. And I believe, from a, in a good government, from a good government standpoint, that um, um, you can work with departments um, together. And just as you know, as, as the controllers say to a department, you know, let's let's allow our audit team to go in and identify to see if there are inefficiencies and ways that we can do things more efficiently and effectively. And um, that doesn't have to be a costed sort of, you know, approach to it. It can be uh, just working together. Okay. Uh, I have a question. I have a question here from the chat that talks about, oh, here's a good one. Uh, would you support the auditing of adult protective services in the function they provide as the default representative payee? for people with disabilities in the county? I do. I, I support anything that can make us run better and make us operate, you know, better. And, uh, so, and I, I think that's it. I mean, I will say on, on our whistleblower hotline, we often get phone calls um, from, um, from whether it's workers or people that um, do business with that um, who have express concerns and, and you know have had some consternation about the way things have run so um it's 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 big it's a big operation so i don't necessarily fault anyone i don't you know but i, I think that because it's it's so big that it's worthwhile to take a look at and see how it can be run better okay um um, how do you think Medicaid could be run more efficiently or what can the Comptroller's office do to look at Medicaid running more in, uh, running more efficiently? Well, I will say, and this is one of the challenges that um, when I was in the county legislature, um, uh, your microphone, try again, dear. Okay. Um, if you can hear me now. Um, yep. So the administration does have a Medicaid fraud uh, unit. When I was in the legislature, no response. Hey, 
staff about um, how you know, about what they've identified because they're looking at those. So I would like to, as controller, really reach out to that office and see if we can work together. Um, because I, I know before it was a little bit frustrating trying to get some of those answers, and, um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know where the issues lie. But, um, but as controller, I would like my office to work with that office to see how we can make. Okay, I did. We didn't hear most of that. <laughs> um, to, to, uh, to be honest, like I said, you you start fine, and then your microphone like almost dies. Um, uh, and I'm so and I'm so sorry, Todd. I don't know why. Like I keep hearing things, you know, come in too, and I'm not I'm not sure why. Um, that that that's quite all right. Um, uh, Bianca, I would love to have her change the way she's dialing in, but that would make the next candidate run behind. Um, I mean, would I, you like me to try on my phone? Yeah, that's what I just got asked. So we could take a okay. break for a minute and have you do that and then give you another uh, couple minutes to answer questions. I can pause your clock. Mark will do that for me. Okay. Um, I'm going to try. I'm, I'm, I just connected. So... Um, it's okay if you disconnect and need to dial back in that's fine we'll wait a minute for you apparently people were really interested in that last answer hello you're still here It says I'm in the meeting. Uh, there you are. And I will just mute the other line. Okay. Would you like me to exit out of this one? Yes. Yes. Okay. Let me just cancel right out of that one. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yep. Could you just okay. answer that Medicaid question for me? So we have, the administration has um, an office um, that identifies Medicaid fraud. I will say that when I was a county legislator, we had asked the, um, the person there to come over on um, several occasions, you know, for committee discussions on where fraud was identified, what we could do better, that sort of thing. I will say to you that I didn't find a lot of progress had been made or, or not necessarily getting all the answers that we sought for whatever reason. Um, but as controller, I would like to reach out to that office to see if we could work together to figure out ways to better identify um, both fraud and, 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 you know, to identify the issues that have come up with Medicaid um, to make it work better for everyone. So that, that is, something I definitely would like to do. Okay. Um, what could you do? This is a question from the chat, by the way. What could you do to increase the office's accessibility of the reports and things you file for those people that want to keep an eye on county finances, uh, including sure. the website? Yes. And I, so I'm happy to share that with you. So 
on on erie.gov if you go down to where it's the controller's office um, and you click on that we do make all the reports available online in addition to that we have a taxpayer checkbook and um, a gasoline tax calculator so you can plug in to see how much you are paying in taxes in gasoline and you pay seven different taxes per gallon of you know gasoline every time you put a gallon of gas in your car um, but the, the um, taxpayer checkbook shows how um, the county is spending money. And as you probably know, between um, last year and this, the county is receiving in total $338 million in federal COVID relief funds. Some of it has very specific designations, um, although other, other parts of it um, are, are not as specific. And um, we show a checkbook there as to how the county is spending that, that federal money. Um, in addition, we started a couple of years ago. We do a. Um, Hold on, you should. One second, please. I'm so sorry. Give me a moment. Thank you. One of our co-hosts found him and muted him. I appreciate your patience. Go ahead, uh, Ms. Dixon. Did we mute everyone? Everybody can hear me? Yes. Lynn. Where are you? Uh, Lynn, can you hear me? How about star six to unmute your phone? You might have been universally there, muted. Can you, can you hear me now? There we go. Okay. Um, so anyway, where were we? <laughs> um, Medicaid Inspector General. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Yes. Uh, ex no, I'm sorry. Accessible um, yes. documents. Yes, documents. So, okay. So, in addition, what we um, started doing a couple of years ago, and it's called a PAFR, which is basically it takes the budget book and it boils it down to a very easy to understand version of the budget. And we put that up online too, because the, you know, it's the budget is a very voluminous document, and so by boiling it down to a simple to understand. And, and that, that PAFR, what we've done is actually, it has won awards um, for its easy to read and accessible, you know, comprehensive um, look at the budget in a very easy to read way. So we put all of that um, online. Uh, but then, as I mentioned before, uh, part of my, my 25 point plan that I had put forth um, in my campaign is to do a lot more outreach. It was it was a favorite thing for me to do as a legislator, and uh, I do enjoy it as as uh, working in the controller's office, doing you know fraud seminars and those sorts of things. I do think we can bring our resources to um, to the community, to the classroom, and to help agencies that you know might be having a, a challenging time navigating the bureaucracy that can be government or just um, filling out forms and, 
and that sort of thing that we can bring the expertise of the controller's office out into the community. So I would like to do significant outreach just to make it more accessible um, for all of you. Okay. Um, yes, that question. I just want to make sure I've gotten to all of your questions. Uh, okay. Uh, one last question for the controller, if anybody has one. Uh, you can unmute your microphone and ask yourself or take a quick moment and put it in the chat for me. Uh, I think I might have something from the number ending in 8913. 8913. Uh, give me a second well, to unmute your microphone. Is that you? That's you. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, then why did I get a question? No, no. All right. Um, do, you have a, do you have a question for yourself? <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Uh, then if no other questions, I want to thank you very much, Lynn, for taking the time to be with us today and best of luck on your candidate, uh, candidacy for controller. Uh, thank uh, thank yes. you to you. Uh, thank you to you and thanks to everybody um, for, for taking the interest, you know, and um, taking the time today. And I apologize for the technical challenges. <laughs> that's quite all right. We've had them ourselves here today. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, our last candidate for today is uh, India Walton running for mayor of the city of Buffalo on the Democratic line. You can unmute your line now and begin if you would like. There she is. Good afternoon, everyone. It's an honor to be here. My name is India. I'm the endorsed Democratic nominee for Mayor Buffalo. I was born and raised right here in the city of Buffalo. I am a registered nurse by profession, turned community organizer slash advocate, turned affordable housing developer, and now am um, running for mayor because there are complex and nuanced challenges that our community faces, and I want to face those challenges head on in a way that prioritizes the marginalized and those of us who often go unseen, unheard, and uncared for. Um, so I don't want my introduction to be too long because I want to get right into answering questions that you may have for me. But again, thank you. Um, thank you, Todd, for putting this all together and everyone who helped host and for the invitation and the opportunity to speak to you today. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give the first question to Maura. Maura, you can unmute your mic. Hi, India. My name is Maura Kelly. I'm the uh, behavioral health peer liaison for the West New York Independent Living. And as you probably could uh, assume, that I'm very interested in what your plans are to address the needs of people with behavioral health needs or mental illnesses when the community calls the police, uh, what is your plan on how to help us? Thank you for your question, Maura. Um,
Keep going. I think. All right, we'll we'll do. I'll keep going. Um, <laughs> thanks for your thanks for your question, Maura. It's, it's the um, thing with the open Zoom meeting. We get bombed on occasion. Yeah. Um, so my my plan for um, access to mental and behavioral health services is one that is robust. Um, and while the city doesn't have direct purview over those services, it's more than service when it comes to, um, you know, public health and mental health services. I am encouraging our police department to reevaluate the way we respond to mental health calls. Um, I don't believe that armed uniformed officers should be our first line of defense. In fact, I think that when a person um, who is armed in uniform responds to a mental health call, it has a tendency to escalate the situation in ways that we've seen over the course of the last few years. So I would be um, number one, um, implementing um, increased preventative mental health services, also increasing the capacity of our behavioral response team so that we have more social workers on staff to work in um, in partnership with Buffalo Police to respond to the calls, but also working with crisis services so that when folks are calling crisis services, those calls are not immediately diverted to um, the Buffalo Police Department, but that we can find folks who are able and um, highly skilled and trained to de-escalate situations to try and keep law enforcement from being involved in the first place. But I think the first step to that is making sure that we um, open it up for more community-based preventative behavioral health services um, to, to make sure that we are preventing people from decompensating to the point of crisis in the first place. So, so a lot of our platform centers around not only our response to folks with mental health challenges, but the preventative measures that we can put in place um, to keep folks from um, being in a state of crisis in the first place. And that goes as deep as making sure that we have a housing first policy um, where, where folks are housed, that we are providing opportunities for um, meaningful employment and lives with dignity. And that again, we are expanding access to preventative mental health services. Alrighty. So the, I have a couple of questions from chat here, okay? Um, the first one, uh, in, in following the media on this campaign, uh, we hear a lot from your critics that say you have a hot temper, right? So if you were to become mayor, right, how would you handle um, dialogue with diverse city departments? Um, Thank you. Or, or people that might have an issue that might tend to trip your temper. Thank you for that question. Um, you know, I believe that the language of an advocate, the language of an activist is very different than the language of a mayor or a person who was governing. And um, I wouldn't say I have a hot temper. I would say that I am passionate about issues of justice and that it has traditionally been my job to amplify the voices of those who often go unseen and unheard. Um, I am a whopping four foot, 11 inches tall. And many times I have resorted to using my voice um, and my language in order to get the attention of people who don't often pay attention to folks um, like me, um, um, but also folks who don't often have a seat at the table and the ability to make decisions on behalf of themselves. I will say that I have grown significantly over the course of the last few years, um, but I will also say that 
my passion for justice and for equity and for fighting for the little guy has not um, has not died. That is a thirst that I cannot quench. And it's a lot of the reason why I am running for mayor. But I will say that when you speak to folks who are sitting in office um, today, um, there are lots of people that can tell you that even though publicly I'm a very passionate person, I am also um, flexible. I am also empathetic. I am also reasonable. And I have a track record of working with cross-sector coalitions and partnerships with elected officials, with nonprofit leaders, with community stakeholders, in order to advance policies that really benefit a lot of people. Um, so, you know, though there are a few examples of my, um, what they call a hot temper. Um, there are even more examples of me being able to work successfully with people to implement smart, sustainable policy that prioritizes the people who need it most. Okay. Um, what could you talk to us about and commit to once you're mayor today about improving opportunities for people with disabilities to work in city government? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the first things that is on my agenda is really getting to know your community better. Um, you know, scheduling regular meetings for you to meet with members of our administration so that we know firsthand from you what your issues are. I, I can't tell you what's what's best for you. You have to tell me. Um, another thing that is of great concern to me is that there is no office of ADA compliance in city government. Um, I don't think that, you know, we should be reliant upon a single individual who is largely unresponsive to concerns about ADA compliance. Um, there should be an entire department and there should be representatives um, from your community who mans that department, who, um, who fields complaints because you know firsthand, you know, what, what the complaints are and what folks are going through. And I think there's also room for us to enforce, um, you know, fair hiring practices and um, various, various ways to make sure that our, our administration is representative of your community. All right. Uh, now, having said that, I'm going to change this question from the chat a little bit to do something I don't normally do. Um, but as a candidate, for this. yeah, no, it's okay. The, you gave like half of the answer. So one of the things about the city of Buffalo is in charter, there's an advisory committee for people with disabilities that hasn't met in 12 years. All right. Because when they eliminated the office for people with developmental disabilities, they never uh, kept impaneling members of the committee. And we've dealt with the current mayor on this issue a few times. Uh, he again commits to, uh, in paneling the office, I mean, I, we just heard from him today. Could you commit to us that within six months of you taking office, the committee will be meeting? I will commit to you that within the first 100 days of me uh, of taking office, the committee will be meeting. Um, there's nothing more important to me, and you'll notice a lot of times in my platform, I mention co-governance and deep democracy, right? I'm a person who believes that the person closest to the problem is closest to the solution. And, you know, I am the mother of children with some um, different abilities. And even with them, I, I can't 
efficiently and successfully care for them without their knowledge and input because I'm not experiencing what they are experiencing. So within my first 100 days, I am committed to meeting with you. Um, I would love to have a member of your community on our transition advisory panel to make sure that your voice is being amplified heard and that the policies that you want are actively being worked on. And within my first 100 days, I am committed. You can have that on the record. I see you're not recording, um, but you can put me on the record saying that in my first 100 days, I'm committed with meeting um, with a panel um, and reestablishing meetings of the Office of People with Disabilities. That, that's okay. I, I have 55 witnesses. I'm perfectly <laughs> good with working. Um, could you rumor bust something for me? Is it? Are you still a Medicaid recipient? Am I? I am. Okay. I'm, well, un I'm unemployed. I'm. I'm actually a recent Medicaid recipient. Um, I went to the marketplace and applied because I can't. I can't just go without insurance. Um, you know, I, I still have children to care for while I'm while I'm running. It's nearly impossible to work a full time benefited position. So I am currently still um, a recipient of Medicaid. Okay. Okay. Thank you for answering that. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, one other round for questions for Ms. Walton. If anybody has them, they can unmute their microphone or put them in the chat. Uh, you, I think I've gone over everything that's in the chat so far. Yes, I have. Okay. Pat, I have another question just out of curiosity. Go ahead. Um, this is Mara again, India. Uh, what do you plan to do first when you uh, are elected and get into office? What's the first thing on your agenda? Um, that's a great question. I think about it often. I, I wish that I could spend more time thinking about it and that I wasn't, you know, still running um, this level of campaign. Um, but the first thing that I'm going to do is make sure that I'm putting an, an, an effective team together, um, making sure, you know, we have a, a transition team that's sort of working behind the scenes right now to identify, recruit, and vet um, subject matter experts to join as, as top members of my administration. Um, but, you know, my first priority is making sure that I have a team that's put together that's going to be effective in advancing a lot of the policies that we want to get done. And second to that, we're going to be prioritizing affordable housing. I know that I'm inheriting uh, an administration that is going to be on the tail end of the pandemic. Um, we're looking at, at the eviction moratorium expiring. We're looking at potential unprecedented homelessness um, evictions and foreclosure. So we're gonna be full steam ahead, making sure that we keep people um, folks housed and make sure that people's basic needs are met while we um, while we navigate and try and mitigate some of the collateral and negative impacts that we're going to see after the expiration of the moratorium on evictions. Okay. Um, Rhea, does that answer your question? Because she got into it right as it came across my wire. You can unmute and do a follow-up if you want. If I don't hear her dulcet tones, that means we've done well on this question. Yeah, it's okay. She changed the question. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> no, 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 no. Doug is the tall, distinguished blind man in the office three doors down from me. My name is Todd Varwick. I am Chief Policy Officer. Um, <laughs> happens a lot. Uh, anyway, um, for me, one last question. 
What has been the biggest challenge for you running for mayor? That is a loaded question, Todd, and I don't know that I have a single answer. I, um, I know for the record that we are not recording. So I, <laughs> I would I would say that the, the biggest challenge is just being a regular person. The biggest challenge is not being a lifelong career politician, not having a bunch of friends who are going to cut me um, $5,000 checks. It's been hard, hard work. And I think that the biggest sacrifice in all of this has been made by my children. Um, I spend a lot of time away from home on the campaign trail, but I can assure you that I've, I've worked really, really hard. I've earned every single vote that I got in the primary election. Um, I am continuing to work hard, me along with my team, to earn every single vote going up to the general election. And you will see the same work ethic when I'm mayor and I won't continue, I, you know, I, I won't stop working um for for you for you know the I, I say the little guy but the little guy the little gal um the person with challenges the person who is um often brought in last um will, will now be first and i think that's the reason why we're seeing a lot of resistance is because those who always have everything are afraid that they're not going to be the priority anymore and i don't apologize for not um, rolling with the status quo. I'm going to continue to fight. Um, now, um, I couldn't ask this of your opponent because I already know that he voted in early voting. Have you voted yet? I have not voted yet. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to ask if you would consider using the adaptive uh, uh, ballot marking device in your polling place when you vote. The teacher how to do the write-in, Todd? Uh, what was that? The teacher how to do the write-in? Yeah, we'll teach you how to use the write-in function. <laughs> Okay. okay. Uh, it's called the auto mark. When you go to your polling place, ask to use the auto mark. They should give you a ballot and show you where the machine is. Do let us know if they try to discourage you from using it. Todd, this is being recorded and it's going to be replayed on the uh, radio reading service. Just to let you know. Um, okay. I'm cool with that. I never say anything that can't be repeated. Well, that's okay. I just wanted you to know that we do try to re re record these and then we rebroadcast them over our disability broadcast. Perfect. Thank you. All righty. That is all the questions I have. I've taken all the questions for everyone. I want to thank you for taking the opportunity to spend with us today. You were, um, you were batting cleanup. You're our last candidate today. So I thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And I thank all of you for taking the time to be with us today. Good luck. Okay. Yeah, good luck. And you can't Thank you so soon. much. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. And for everyone here, please, uh, if you haven't done early voting yet, you absolutely can. Your local board of elections will give you times and locations. Please consider to using the auto mark as I ask the candidate for your votes. And uh, should you have any questions, you always know where to reach me. I'm an extension 101 here at the center. Okay. And hopefully we will see you again soon. The following program is intended for listeners who are blind, have low vision, or another print disability that makes reading, holding a book, or turning a page difficult or impossible. The content is copyrighted by the respective publishers. For more information, please visit us on the web at nfradioreading.org. Your Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service now presents a reading of articles and features from the Buffalo News for today, Friday, 
October 29th, 2021. Your readers today are Walt Otto and Don Williams. Well, we just had a couple of nice days of weather, but it's apparently going to be coming to a close today. They're talking about cloudy. Yep, it is cloudy out there, but the rain is coming and it's going to be breezy this afternoon. Tomorrow, rain and drizzle. Sunday, mostly cloudy, a shower. Last I heard on the radio, they were talking about the rain ending in time for the evening trick-or-treaters. So we have a high in the mid to upper 50s each of those days and a low of 46 tonight, 50 tomorrow, 45. Monday at last, times of sun and clouds, high of 53 and a low of 41. And then for the rest of next week, mostly cloudy and showers on Tuesday with a high of 50, a chance of rain on Wednesday with a high of 48, cloudy, a shower possible on Thursday with a high of 48. Autumn must have finally arrived. You know, actually, right at sunrise today, the sky was beautiful. There was a lot of red streaks in the clouds. And yeah, I missed that. Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't looking in the right direction, I guess. <laughs> Our kitchen is facing west. Okay. Well, the sun rose today at 7.46, and will set tonight at 6.12. And uh, we did have a, a bit of rain no, we did not have a bit of rain yesterday. 24 hours ending at 8 p.m. yesterday, zero. Month to date, and the month is nearly over, uh, five inches, and we're just a shade above the year's precipitation year to date. So at last we've caught up. Um, still nothing in the snow derby. Uh, Trace in Denver, a little bit up in Anchorage, uh, 2.8 inches so far this season. Um, there was, oh yes, here it is. The national high and low, they're all C's. Chino, California with a high of 96. And the low, Climax, Colorado with a low of 13. So, by the way, one thing about national, the World Series, you know, has shifted now from Houston to Atlanta. Yes. And today and tomorrow, the temperature in Atlanta is going to be 20 degrees less than it was in Houston. So it's getting cool for that World Series. Ah, but Although but not, Sunday it'll warm up again not in bad. Atlanta. 66 yeah. tomorrow, that's not too bad for, yeah. for baseball. Actually, it's kind of nice. Yeah. So there we have it. Okay, what do we have from the front page? From Jerry Zemsky of the Washington Bureau. A pared-down Biden bill still has provisions that would benefit Western New Yorkers. President Biden's Build Back Better plan took its nearly final shrunken shape yesterday. And it would mean that under Medicaid, more elderly Americans could start getting home care, which would help them keep out of nursing homes. It would mean that senior citizens would finally be able to get care for their hearing problems under Medicare, hearing aids. And it would mean that families getting hundreds of dollars a month because of the expanded child care tax credit would get those payments for at least another year. But the compromise plan, which remains still on shaky political ground, also abandoned some of the Democratic Party lofty promises, such as paid family leave a key provision sought by Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a New York Democrat, 
that did not make it into the bill. Neither did a Medicare expansion to cover vision and dental coverage or a plan to make community college free to all Americans. And a provision that is especially important to New York State, restoring the full deduction for state and local taxes. We call that the SALT. That remains in question as the Democratic-led Congress prepares to act on the Build Back Better plan and a companion bipartisan infrastructure bill. In the end, the $1.85 trillion Build Back Better plan is about half of what Biden wanted. A bitter compromise made to placate two Senate moderates that threatens to alienate progressives on both sides of Capitol Hill. But to hear Representative Brian Higgins, the Buffalo Democrat, tell it, it's a necessary compromise. Higgins said, this is a rock solid investment into the development of all of our people. Higgins lamented the loss of paid family leave provision even though New York State already has its own family leave plan. Gillibrand also uh, lamented that. She said, until the bill is printed, I will continue working to include paid leave in the Build Back Better plan. Paid family leave got dropped after Senator Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat, objected, saying that should be dealt with in separate legislation. Manchin is one of those two moderate Democrats, along with Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona, who demanded that Build Back Better bill shrink dramatically and be entirely paid for by tax changes in the measure. Higgins said he's confident that some sort of expansion of the SALT deduction will be included in the final package. Democratic Representative Tom Suosi of Long Island said, if there's no salt, then there's no deal. But I'm confident it'll be part of the final deal. While the deal remains unfinished, Biden announced that the Democrats have largely agreed on a framework that includes some huge changes. All children ages three and four would be eligible for universal pre-K. Some 55, excuse me, 555 billion dollars would be set aside to address climate change, part through tax credits and rebates, encouraging Americans to invest in solar rooftops and electric vehicles. Other provisions would expand Pell grants for college students, expand coverage under the Affordable Care Act, affordable housing, and earn income tax credits for low-wage workers. And finally, Biden said the plan includes a series of changes that would more than pay for the measure, including a minimum corporate tax, a surtax on the wealthiest Americans, and increased tax, in, increased tax enforcement. Republicans rejected all of the above. Meanwhile, a low participation skews test data, the state says, and not uh, shouldn't be comparing the results with prior years. Four of every 10 students in New York State took this year's state ELA and math assessments, a number so low the results should not be compared to previous years, according to State Education Commissioner Betty A. Rosa. 
The rates for students of color, the economically disadvantaged, and students with disabilities were even lower. Because of disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, about 42% of students in 3rd through 8th grades took the English language arts tests and 39.9% took the math test, according to the state. The participation rate is usually more than 80% for the tests, which were not administered in 2020 because of the pandemic. The pandemic exacerbated already existing inequities for students, and this fact is most evident in our 2021 statewide assessment participation rates, Board of Regents Chancellor Lester W. Young Jr. said. Locally, participation in three districts in Erie and Niagara counties dipped to under 20%. The Buffalo Public Schools, where 18% of students took the ELA test, Cheektowaga Maryvale, 13%, and Lewiston Porter, 12%. 12 districts had rates of 70% or better, including Alden, where 83% of students took the ELA assessment. Students and families dealt with many challenges during the pandemic, Rosa said. Many faced personal tragedies from the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, or feeling isolated or disconnected, she said. These challenges did not go away, and in fact, many of these challenges remain as students have come back to school last month. The results of the assessments, Rosa said, are not representative of the state's students. The state education department did not release state results as it usually does, but did release results for school districts and schools. We should not be making comparisons and you should not be looking at this comparison statewide, Rosa said. She added that at a local level, test results can help shape individualized learning for students. Rosa said schools and districts have many ways of assessing student progress in addition to the high-stakes state tests, but they will help in assessing individual students. Many students were learning fully remotely when the tests were administered, and fully remote students were not required to take the assessments. Those not taking the tests also included students whose parents opted them out of the tests, those who had a medical excuse or were absent, and first-year English language learners. The pandemic caused learning disruption for students across the state that exacerbated equity and opportunity gaps, Rosa said. Statewide, 55.5% of white students took the ELA test, compared with 26.6% of black students, 30.1% of Hispanic students, 32.7% of American Indian Alaska Native students, 43.3% of Asian Pacific Island students, and 47.4% of multiracial students. There was also a variation among other subgroups with 28.9% of students with disabilities taking the ELA assessment, 32.7% of English language learners taking it, and 39, one more time, 34.9% of economically disadvantaged students taking the test. The tests were shortened to one session instead of two, but Rosa said the longer assessments will return next year. State officials said the state will shift from a focus on compliance to one of supporting schools and districts as they recover from the pandemic. New York State had sought a waiver that would allow it to skip the assessments for the second time during the pandemic. The U.S. Department of Education did not grant the waiver, but the results will not count against the school. <coughs> Rosa said results would not be included in a student's transcript of permanent record, but will be used as a diagnostic tool. In another story about interesting statistics, <coughs> U.S. cities 
Jimmy, the U.S. cites, C-I-T-E-S, cites crisis as road deaths rise 18%. The number of U.S. traffic deaths in the first six months of the year hit 20,160, the highest first half total since 2006, a sign of growing reckless driving during the coronavirus pandemic. The estimated number of traffic deaths was 18.5% higher than the first half of last year. That prompted U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to call the increase an unacceptable crisis. That percentage increase was the biggest six-month increase since the department began recording fatal deaths in 1975. The department, Transportation Department, which includes the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, announced it'll develop a national strategy for steps to save lives on the road. Buttigieg said, we cannot and should not accept these fatalities as simply part of everyday life in America. The National Highway Highway Traffic Safety Administration also said that behavioral research from the months of March through June showed that speeding and traveling without a seatbelt remain higher than before the pandemic. The agency has pointed to increasing road deaths, a trend for the last two years. It's based on more reckless behavior on the roads. Turning now at the uh, 14 minute past the hour mark, reminding you you're listening to a reading of today's Buffalo News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Turning to the editorial page, we have one major editorial from the editors of the news, and it says the main thing, Board of of Elections errs in planning to put off county city, counting city write-in votes. Once again, voters are preparing to be treated as though they are the least important part of an election. With the Erie County Board of Elections facing a likely avalanche of write-in votes in next week's mayoral contest, leaders say they won't even begin counting these votes for another two weeks. Why? For the sake of, quote, efficiency, end quote. Efficiency isn't a bad thing, of course, but democracy is inefficient by design. With three co-equal branches of government and the legislative one of them frequently split into two sub-branches, Along with public hearings, checks, balances, vetoes, and endless litigation, this form of government is anything but efficient. No one said democracy was cheap. Governments can surely work to create efficiencies where possible, but not at the expense of a fundamental concept. They need to keep the main thing the main thing. In a democracy, the main thing is elections, and in elections, the main thing is the votes. It's preposterous in the name of efficiency for the Board of Elections to delay counting the write-in votes until all absentee and military ballots have been returned. That might work in another election where write-in voting constitutes only a small fraction of the total, but that's not the case as Buffalo's four-term mayor, Byron W. Brown, works to survive a general election challenge like no other in Western New York memory. He has mounted a write-in campaign against Democratic Socialist India Walton, who trounced him in June's low-turnout Democratic primary. With Walton's name the only one on the mayoral ballot, 
Brown has marshaled broad enough support that election officials expect tens of thousands of write-in votes they will have to count by hand. Eventually, when they get around to it, Jeremy J. Zellner, the Democratic Elections Commissioner, said it will be business as usual in an election that is anything but. It's basically going to be the same exact process as it always is, he said. We will be hand-counting the ballots for mayor and we'll be doing it in a bipartisan fashion. We don't want to get started counting without everything in. It's just not a good practice. And why is it not good practice? Republican Elections Commissioner Ralph Moore clarified, saying, because we're doing other stuff. Certainly, the other stuff is not inconsequential. The office will be researching the provisional ballots, checking names and addresses, ensuring that people are not voting twice. Believe me, said Ralph Moore, we're very busy. But provisional ballots rarely determine the outcome of an election, and in any case, busy is not the point. Office efficiency is not the point. Counting votes quickly and accurately is the point. To assign any other task higher priority is unnecessarily frustrating the voters, the candidates, and the campaign staffs. And as delays in counting last year's presidential vote demonstrated, it can prompt suspicions, even where they're the stuff of conspiracy theory. It's possible, but not at all certain, that voters will have a good sense of who won before Tuesday ticks away. If notably, more than half of the total votes cast favor Walton, residents can pretty sure she will win. If write-in votes dominate, then the likelihood will be that Brown has prevailed. But if the ballots for Walton and those contained in write-in ballots are close, everything we put on hold while election officials keep busy with other stuff. This is a matter not just for the Erie County Board of Elections, but for the state capitol as well. Antiquated state policies, counting absentee ballots, delayed election results for weeks last year, in both the 2020 primary for the 27th Congressional District and in special elections. The state has had more than a year to address those issues, but the state simply ignored them. So it needs to fix those problems. It can begin by looking to states such as Colorado for their useful examples. But it also needs to address one-offs such as Buffalo is now experiencing. It needs to remind itself and election boards around the state, they need to keep the main thing the main thing. That's the editorial. And it's time to turn to the fun part of the editorial pages, the editorial cartoons. Today, R.J. Matson of Cable Cartoons shows an elephant and a donkey, the traditional symbols of the Republican and Democratic parties, respectively. The elephant is all carved up into its elephant silhouette, carved up into weird shapes. And the voice bubble coming from the elephant says, gerrymandering. What have you been doing? And the donkey, which is portrayed in the shape of a pretzel, I think meaningfully, says legislating. <laughs> wow. Interesting cartoon. And I, I have to say this. I, it's always pronounced gerrymandering nationwide, but it's named for 
a legislator from Western New York named Elbridge Gary. <laughs> oh, well. On the other page, Lisa Benson of the Washington Post Writers Group has taken on the uh, the story about the Department of Justice being requested to do something about the school board meetings where apparently school board members are being threatened by concerned, well, it says a wanted poster showing here, wanted, concerned parent, and it shows a picture of a woman wearing a t-shirt labeled Mama Bear, and that's taped over the Department of Justice symbol, which, uh, apart from its normal picture, it does say Department of Justice. It does show the norm normal uh, uh, picture in the middle, but it says, sit down and shut up at the bottom. <laughs> so that's, that's what they want to do with these nasty parents at school board meetings. Well, as we turn to everybody's column, Kendra Lamb does not want to oh, shut up. The program is intended for listeners who are blind, have low vision.